Hello and welcome to a Taylor's Tales podcast. This is Chris's Corner. I'm your host, Chris Taylor, and I'm back this week with a brand new podcast covering a brand new topic, covering a new area known as the archetypes. Specifically, we're going to be looking into this week, the king archetype. What are the archetypes, you may ask? Well, good question. The archetypes are everything that resembles human behavior in a psychological term, in a philosophical term, even in a spiritual term. The archetypes are those that represent who we are as human beings. I'm fascinated by the psychology of humans. I'm fascinated by the ideas of how things work in the mind, as well as how we interact with one another and how we communicate. Uh, in the corner here, I'll be referencing Robert Moore's book, The King Warrior, Magician Lover, which is what we're going to be sort of going through in the sense of each section. I'm going to try and make a series of this, bring in some people to dissect some of the other characteristics and go through how these different areas of who we are as human beings can reflect in our lives and how we can access these energies or these, you know, aspects of ourselves. I'm keen to find out. I've read this book a couple of times. It always helps me to go through the same thing over and over again to really get it into my mind. So the archetypes themselves split into four. Like I said, the warrior, which is basically the idea of fighting and, 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 and being in touch with the, you know, almost basic elements of who we are as human beings, the king, which embodies all three elements of the archetypes, the lover and the magician. And I'm going to try and dissect each one of them in the the up and coming podcast, but we're going to start today with the king. So the archetypes of the king are can be broken down into many areas, but why are archetypes important and why do you know, what was the point of looking into the king? So in today's society, there seems to be, you know, there's a phrase, good times make weak men and hard, I'm sorry, easy times make weak men and hard times make strong men. And it seems to be a lack of sort of presence in society today of people to look up to, people to, who hold the ground, who hold the strong views, who are able to basically resonate with not just men, but, you know, women in general as well, women who will, you know, set the standard as well. I think there's something missing. I think there's a lot of an agreement of, uh, I think it was Jung who said something along the lines of, I think I've got it written down here somewhere. Jung stated the external deficiencies of society are reflected by the absence of the father the immature father the lack of meaningful ritual process the scarcity of the ritual elders so i wanted to mention here what he means in the sense of ritual we used to be as human beings put into tribes we used to hang out in small areas we weren't you know these something like seven billion people that are on the planet at the moment we used to be in these small cocoon areas and we would interact with certain people in the tribe who represented the, the, the ritual sort of process. Some of this process would be, for instance, the younger sort of naive boys would go through as they got older. And then when they were close to manhood, they'd go through a trial and the trial will be a ritual trial where the elders, the men who represented the, the true masculine um, 
of the tribe would put the the boy through the trials so that he could shed the skin that was the naive ego of the of the divine child and become the the male the warrior the king the lover the magician the male archetype and they would you know put put these sort of tribal religious sort of aspects of life and they are no longer in society today. There is a lack of that. And I think the lack of that is leading to a lot of guys questioning what they can find in society that reflects their thoughts and feelings. And I think that's why we see so much anxiety, so much depression, so much just sort of high standards that we look to. And there isn't really an example of, of that out there but we go through some, some of the psychologists out there and as i've quoted jung they're the father of psych you know grandfather of psychology in some areas some would say others may not you know agree in that area but moving on the you know that the king in the idea of the tribe represented the central archetype and the ability for a man to go through this tribal experience made him into a man and we don't really have that process of boys to men that we do i mean you could you could potentially say that going through the schooling system today but it's not the same there's not that ritualistic or even spiritual aspect to the ability to go from men from boys to men so so what characteristics do does sorry does the king embody well the king embodies each of the archetypes but he specifically embodies two specific areas order and the fertility and blessings that he provides and causes society to have um, there's a very specific order we'll go into in a minute but I think it was, I, I can't remember, where have I got written down? No, but uh, there's a few psychologists who say that the primal men reflect the anthropos in all humans. So the king is the anthropos within us. It is the earth. It is the son of men. So when I say the earth, that's a translation. Anthropos in um what have I got? Hebrew means earth, and in Greek, it means son of men. And the idea of the inner king, the inner ability to be a better person and to be the one who provides order and fertility and blessings to those around you is fascinating to me. I don't know about you, but that the idea of you having that impact, that ability to have that impact. One thing that Robert Moore does have in this book, even though he uses huge examples where you have Egyptian kings and the sort of many different areas like King Harold as the tyrannical shadow king and using Aragorn from Lord of the Rings as a reference point of the good king, it's very easy to forget that, you know, we can actually all be kings in our own worlds. We just have to be able to embody these emotions and these uh, sort of archetypes and he does I think there's a little bit of a missing piece there where he should be saying like look this is for you but 
you know that's not a criticism that's merely just a, a missing piece to the to the puzzle so yes ah yeah the, you've also got uh, the description of of the embodiment of the king as the image of god or the father energy um sir james fraser stated that once the king had outlived his king energy then he would be killed so all of these things like the rebirth the killing the resurrection the links to the um sort of tribal entities it's coming together we're slowly building the picture and it's this kingly aspect that has a piece of god i think that, that there's like um a few people have quoted this we have a piece of god in us now i'm not you know i've stated this before i'm buddhist so it doesn't i i still think that that you can still relate it to any religion so we can go through any of them um and we're going to mention the tao and the dharma later on uh, in the sense of order but it doesn't necessarily you know go too depth into those areas so what is the king energy exactly when we're talking about it so when the new king is announced the realm is reborn so it brings back the idea of fertility the idea of resurrection and rebirth and death and life and the king revolves around he's the central archetype you're going to hear me say that a few times central archetype the king has life and death surrounding but he's also detached there's no ego in the ability to have the power so it's like the earth revolves around the sun it doesn't ever start thinking like the sun doesn't ever start saying like yo you're getting my energy here man like <laughs> i'm the king of you and starts becoming the shadow king and, and tyrannically ruling i mean obviously i'm using planets as a <laughs> as a bit of a example here, a bit of a stretch but you know i think you're getting what i'm, what I'm saying so the ritual killing and reviving joseph campbell talks of the boy ego coming into contact with the primal king and reconciles with the father to progress this is the idea of the the son or the the younger boy ego coming into contact with like the elders the kings the good examples of man and realizing that he needs to shed that ego and die and be reborn as a man. There's a lot of stories that will describe this idea of a physical death, like the child will be killed and be reborn as a new man, and this peril. And a lot of people might take it, you know, quite literally in the sense that, you know, this person's been killed. But the truth is, it's, it's more of a spiritual or, or metaphorical idea of death and rebirth john perry talks of how his schizophrenic patients would have dreams of the king i think one of his patients said something along the lines of the white king he would see in his his dreams and he would have schizophrenic like seizures and serious issues going on in his life and it wasn't until he did the research into um, the ideas of the king energy that he realized that this is what a schizophrenic um, patient needed was the characteristics of the king and by prescribing these you st he started to see his schizophrenic patient get better so by embodying the king energy by providing order providing fertility in his life providing the rules within his life 
the structure and at the same time providing love and sex and just all of these things within his life where like new life was not looked down upon and new ideas weren't looked down upon and things were brought forward he was able to not cure but move the patient forward images of the sacred king prompted perry to realize that their patients needed to get in contact with the king energy to be better nice Perry called the king the central archetype. See, I've already said that was that was a quote. So when I use the phrase central archetype, that is said by Perry. Um, and he uses that. That's a nice, real nice quote. And it's going to get repeated over and over again because the idea of the king is this central character. The infantile eagle lets you go and goes into the unconscious and then meets the king. So this idea of traveling into the underworld, uh, I think Hercules does this at some point. There's quite a few characters in mythology travel into the underworld as, as boys. They come across a demon, they fight and they have to battle their way out of there. And when they emerge from the underworld, they are men and they are kings, and they've embodied this ability to change and, like I said, shed the boy ego to become the man. It's fascinating stories that these come across and that we see these repeated in history over and over again, and that we just don't realise that it's these same characteristics that can actually make us a little bit happier. You know, it's so interesting to see these sort of consistent and sort of happenings not happenings but historical things that happen over and over again and we get angry and we repeat and recycle and we don't really learn anything from it but we do we can now by doing these things so what is the king in his fullness and when i mean fullness what i mean is that the king in his at his best at his proper max what is he at his max potential so there, like I said before, there's two functions to the king, order and fertility and blessing. So these, when done properly, can provide not only the king with unlimited hope and glory, not for himself, but also for his realm. The realm he occupies provides him with this unlimited happiness because of his ability to change his environment, but also change himself. Um, I'm using him a lot because there's a lot of, but as stated by Robert Moore, there's so many other female archetypes out there that reflect, um, there's a lot in Mesopotamian history that will be able to reflect these archetypes as well. So if you're looking for a more female type of this, this is only because I'm a dude and it's very easy for me to just refer to that in that sort of category. If you are looking for those stories, they're out there just have to find them i'm just not going through them at the moment <laughs> so james yeah james rested and henry frankfurt has shown in egyptian mythology that the world arose from the far formlessness and chaos of the vast ocean in the form of a central hill or mound words in religion define the world around us and the word gives birth to civilization some Mesopotamian kings would say, he who rules the four quarters. Now, what do these have related to each other? Well, I've said those quite quickly. The, the idea behind the formlessness of the world being created by word, it's a common theme throughout religion. 
God created the world within seven, you know, six days or whatever it was. And it was only his word that created the world within um, Buddhist creation. The, the world came into creation through many other things and just through many different religions. There's this consistent idea of words and meaning providing civilization. Civilization is held together by the order that is the word, the spoken and written word. So it is quite powerful to think about these sort of things. And the Egyptians have been doing it. And when I say he who rules the four quarters, yeah, I, I said that right? Yeah. Yeah. He who rules the four quarters. The idea behind this is that the king is the central pillar. And if you have the other pillars around him, he rules the four quarters. He rules the four areas. A good example of this is Jerusalem, which is split into four quarters and has, has a central mound to it. The same with having, uh, I think I've got, yes, Olympus. Olympus, another central area, a central religious pillar of kingly, sort of where Zeus sits upon Mount Olympus and he rules. And then you have the four quarters. It's this idea of society surrounding the central figure. And that even though the mortal kings are there, they're mortal and they, they are merely embodied by the kingly energy to rule these quarters. So the mortal king passes down the laws from the kingly energy. Now, this took me a very long time to be able to figure out, but the kingly energy is the idea of the the rules implemented by those who are higher up. We're talking godly. We're talking um, any sort of mythological or physical religion today. Where you have a god or a deity, or in Buddhist terms, you have the laws written down, or the the ideas of the you know the four noble truths and all of these these ideas that you hold your sort of lives together is to hold yourself accountable to them the king merely embodies these orders these rules and he is not it is not him who sets out the rules and it's the same within ourselves i think you know for me personally you need to realize like just because you're executing the rules doesn't make you better them you know you have to remember sometimes to to ground it down it's what friends are there for as well they remind you yes so a really good example. Yeah, I've got this. So this is what I meant by the, the Dharma and the Tao earlier. So the Dharma and the Tao both provide you with order. They provide you with a description of laws to abide by life, a path. Tao literally means path. And it provides you with this guidance as uh, you're progressing down the path to become a man, to become uh, you know, a, a better human being. And in this case, embodying the kingly order energy. It's that ability to do so that is, you know, is, is part of who you are. So fertility and blessing, I've got a good one here. Um, uh, again, I'm going to have to deal with the pronunciation, but Amun-Ra and Zeus used to have huge sexual exploits. They would be known for this area Amun-Ra and Zeus's sexual exploits Zeus in particular I remember him going down from the heavens and having sex with mortal women and creating many demigods this idea of the 
gods and the kings having this relationship to produce new life and to be able to increase the kingdom that they were leading. And it's not just sex that we're talking about. It's also we're talking about the ability for a crop to be better, for um, new herds of cow to be created, for there to be a good season, for grass to grow, for basically life to prosper. And I think the, yes, the the Egyptian um, hymn, Aton, Aton put the Nile in Egypt so that the birds could rise from their nests in the reeds, the herds could grow, and the calves could flick their tails in happiness. It's that balance in life. You have the order, but you also have the life growing and thriving. Fascinating, as I've said before. So we've talked about the the king energy in its fullness and this ability for people to embody that and what it is and how it affects the realm and, you know, the stories that are behind it. The question is, what's the opposite of that? What is the bipolar structure of the king in his fullness? Well, it's the shadow king. The shadow king is everything the opposite of a good king he looks at new life and fears it it's a lot of jealousy it's consistently angry and attacking others for new ideas these characteristics you have to avoid to not sort of delve into the shadow king emotion state i would say aka the weakling yes that's a good one there. King Harold is a good example where he knew of Jesus, the son of God would come and replace him basically on his throne. I think a prophet had told him that he would be replaced by a baby. So he sent out his army to kill all the newborn sons within Bethlehem. And he would just out of fear of losing his ability to be the king and his he no longer had the kingly energy, but he was still attached to the kingly power and position. It's that what we must avoid. As we've as I've said before, the idea of death and rebirth as a king is consistent. Once you've lost the kingly energy, you must move on as the king and re- realize you're no longer in that position. The tyrant hates, fears, and envies new life. And a good example of that is the story of Saul. Saul is a mortal king who reacts to David as herald to Jesus. However, Saul is attached to the position of being a king like herald. Saul tries to kill David as a prophet and the ideas behind David are fearful. He looks at his new ideas and he says, no, I don't want these. Tyrants identify with the king energy, but do not realize it. This ability to, they see the position, but they don't realize the the power or the energy behind it, the emotion behind it and what it perceives. It is truly important to understand the difference there. The position is different to the energy. The energy is almost godly. It's almost above the position and Harold and and Sol both represent the position in its shadow form. 
So now we know both sides of the king. We know the the you know the flip of the coin of of whether you're going to deal with the order and the blessings and the fertility, or you're going to dwell delve into shadow and hate and feel jealous and insult and look down upon new ideas and those looking to do new things. So how do we access the kingly energy? It's rather difficult. It's a thing of true independence and true self, looking into the self and detaching from the ego. I've talked about this before with the, the Jocko Willink's book, being able to detach um, is really a skill in itself. The ability to detach from your emotions, I find it a struggle every single, because you can get overwhelmed with emotion within situations. I still to this day tackling it. The ability to control your emotions is probably one of the biggest skill sets you can have in today's society because of how much external information there is out there today the ability to not react to that is truly important and to be able to move forward i'm with you i'm on this journey as well so don't think i'm trying to elect you i'm not i'm saying i'm here with you i'm holding that space i'm saying i'm fighting it and it's a hard fight accessing the kingly energy we have to misidentify our egos from the kingly energy we are not the kingly energy. The kingly energy is almost spiritual. It's godly. It is a it's order, it's fertility, it's blessings. It's this ability to be slightly, we're, we're being fed the information. We are not the information itself. Psychologists call this cognitive distancing, very similar to being, you know, disconnecting but cognitive distancing nonetheless the ego of the mature man needs to think of itself no matter uh, what status or power it has temporarily achieved as the servant of a transpersonal will or cause don't be too dependent on others either because you've got this mix so by detaching and realizing this will doesn't mean that once you've detached from it you allow everyone else to control who you are it's this balance between the two so once we've realized that we can't control everything and that we're dealing with this like kingly power and we know that in life there's this will that isn't always in control and i'm not saying religiously i'm not saying that you, you have to believe in a, a god or a religion or anything along those things i'm just saying that there's something out there something kingly in these in the order and in the fertility and the circle of life that you can't control and it's okay and i think that's really important to to say because there's not many people saying it um yeah so when I've, I've got the story of cortez here cortez is fighting against the mexican army he's the spanish trying to conquer uh, Mexico and they eventually do but the story behind here is that the Mexican army is looking like it's about to defeat Cortez uh, it's overwhelming him it's huge it's a massive army and Cortez is sees the difference in men and he, he he looks and he sees the banner of the king and when he sees the banner of the king he realizes that his only chance is to kill the king 
and he does and he and he manages to get in when they attack they attack the army and they man he manages to kill the king and by killing the king he the entire army at the mexican army disbands because they think they've lost the king they've lost the the king the energy the truth is is that every single one of those men in the mexican army had the kingly energy within them they just didn't realize it and they were too dependent as we've said before on the kingly position and maybe if they had realizes it realized it mexico wouldn't actually be speaking spanish it would still be uh, independent and would have been very different to this day which is fascinating to think the impact cortez had on that part of the world accessing the king energy correctly leads to the qualities of the king and reflected within ourselves and those around us will feel the effects as well by doing so it's truly important to understand that like once you've had the ability to reflect on whether you're in the shadow king sort of emotions or whether you are truly embodying the kingly energies you then think you look at the world around you is it positive or is it negative are you seeing these effects are other people giving you you know criticism or are they saying positive things to you and you'll be able to see these things because we all think of kings of you know us having to get to a certain point in our lives where we control you know you're a ceo or you're a, a leader of, of in the army or you're you know some high status but the truth is we have control in our lives and the ability to embody the king now is far greater importance than it is later on because we have less of, a, of an ability to change as we get older and so it is important now, while you're a younger person, that you have the ability to, to move forward. It's just, it's hard to hear because you're just like, there's so much to take in. And it's it's quite la-di-da. It's not physically, I'm not giving you a roadmap because you have to figure it out for yourself. But I'm telling you that hating new ideas and being jealous and, and providing hate and not, you know, looking at new life and looking at the world around you and, and and having some sort of order in your life all of these things if you if you don't you know if you fall into them you fall into the track of the shadow we'll end this podcast on this note thou shall love thy king with all our heart with all my soul and with all thy might and thy neighbor as thyself it's a beautiful quote the idea behind it is that you are one with the king and the king is one with you and you are one with those around you at least that's how i interpret it and we've dissected uh the king sort of aspect of the archetypes and i'm going to do these quick little podcasts where we go through these areas and we're gonna keep going through and and i'll i'll give some opinions and but I'll, what I'm mainly doing is just getting across this idea of these archetypes. Maybe you get something from it, maybe you don't. If not, it's great. I'm loving, I'm loving doing these and I'll continue to, to keep providing new content and new ideas and, and uh, keep on creating. Anyway, this has been a Taylor's Tales podcast. This has been Chris's Corner. I'm your host, Chris Taylor. As always, I'll see you next week.